Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. Okay, I'm going to say it first. You say it back loud and proud. Happy New Year. It's really good to see you. Is everybody recovered from the holiday? Anybody? Anybody still have some lingering family that won't go away? Just a question. So, like I said before, man, welcome to church. I hope that that you come ready to have a good time. I'm kind of one of those that believes in what I like to call the 11th commandment. If you're like a theology snob, I'm not being serious right now. But the 11th commandment in my world is thou shalt not bore, okay? So if you start getting bored, just give me a signal and I'll turn directions. Is that fine? All right, very good. All right, so um, does anyone have New Year's resolutions? Anyone? Oh, come on. Anybody have one? Let me see your hands. This is another play. I, I, I got to have you talking back or I'll get super insecure and run away crying. So um, anyone have any New Year resolutions? Bueller? Bieber? Okay, very good. Um, I did a little study. Uh, there's a, a very fascinating website called statisticbrain.com, and I did a little study about the top 12 New Year resolutions for the year 2017. Can anybody guess maybe what maybe the top two or three might be? Go ahead and speak, speak it out. What you got? Fitness, that's good. Lose weight. What else? Make more money. I'm available. I mean, if somebody would like to give me some, I'll make some more. I'm good for that. Anybody else? Anybody? Read the Bible more. What else? Ski better? Me too. I feel compelled and called to a ski ministry. It's weird. Sleep or eat better? Eat better. Me too. Okay. Any others? Any others? Okay, so here they are. Starting at number 12, it's just listed as other. It's for those noncommittals. They're the people that still on the last day before the election were saying, we don't know. We don't know. That's others. 13.8% out of 100% said other. We don't know. Number 11, 4.1% said find a better job. Find a better job. Um, If that's you and your boss is in the room, do not raise your hand. Number 10, find the love of my life at 4.3%. Anyone? Anyone? Yes, that's what we call singles ministry at church. All right, number nine, I am just playing. Number nine, do more good deeds for others, 5.2%. That is noble, I like it. Number eight, learn something new on my own at 5.3%. Those are for the independent people who obviously don't trust anybody because they want to do it on their own. Um, Number seven, they want to work more often. They're crazy, that should be number 13. Um, Oh, work out more often, now I see it. Now I see it, yes. 5.5 5.5 whopping percent decides that they want to work out more often. That's probably me. Um, more like 2% of me every now and then um, when I'm putting on pants. Okay, number six, spend more time with family and friends at 6.2%. 6.3% at number five, do more exciting things. Anyone bored? <laughs> um, number four, 7.1% quit smoking. Number three, better financial decisions at 8.5%. At 12.3%, number two is life and self-improvement. And, of course, you guys guessed it. A few of you heard it. 21.4% said that their number one New Year resolution is to lose weight and have healthier eating. So there you go. That, that is the deal. So each and every year, actually, the top number one is usually that, lose weight or eat better. In fact, I read a story. This, this 
wife that walks into the bathroom and sees her husband on a scale and he's weighing himself and the whole time he keeps sucking in his stomach. She looks at him and he's sucking in his stomach and she thinks to herself, this dude here really believes that it's gonna make a difference if he sucks in his stomach. So at that moment, she says sarcastically, she goes, you do know that's not gonna help, right? And he says, it absolutely will because it's the only way I can see the numbers. So losing weight is typically the number one New Year resolution. Three things you'll always see in those resolutions. It's usually health, wealth, or relationship driven, mostly. Um, and I see that. I see it on Facebook. I see a lot of people talking about health and wellness and diet. I see um, these people that make me really insecure because they have their Nike running app and they have just the right clothes and they run. They run a lot. And I don't understand that unless you're being chased or if there's a snake or if there's a reason to run, but they do. And they've got these apps that tell them, you're doing well, keep running. I don't understand, but they do. I see people with, any plexus people in the house? Pink drinks, anybody? Two, okay, well, all right. Um, I thought they'd be bigger. Uh, Oils, oily people, any oils in the house? Okay, yes, I enjoy some peppermint every now and then. It's very nice. It opens me up, it's very good stuff. Um, But I see a lot of health and wellness. I've got two pastor friends that on January 1, they began to post these pictures of their eating, their meals. They lay out their meals every Sunday evening for the whole week. They've got all these containers across their table of meals that they've prepped for the whole. Does anybody do this? Does anybody? No? I've decided I'm going to try, I think. And so I've got a picture of the way I'm going to lay my meals out. Do we have that picture available? Anybody? There it is. I'm going (laughs) to... Sorry. Thought it was a good idea, (laughs) Matt. (laughs) Thought it was a good idea. I wanted a New Year's resolution too. So that's my meal prep. Um, (laughs) Okay, you can take it away now. It's just embarrassing. All right. So so all kidding aside, all kidding aside, um, you know, do we have New Year's resolutions? Do we have them? And what are we, if you think of that word, I mean, you're saying I am resolved to this. I'm resolved to this. But I want to ask the question maybe a different way. I want to ask it like this. Do you have fresh vision for your life? Do you have fresh vision for your life? Are you making a living or are you living life? Think about that. I've said that before in another series, but it it still rings true. And it's a question that I often ask myself as I constantly evaluate my time. You know, we can get really caught up in just the mundane and lose the mission altogether. And so, do you have fresh vision for your life? How many of you this morning would would say, if being asked a question out loud, you would say, yeah, I would really like to have a reset, a do-over, a mulligan, a start-over, something, a fresh start. Is there anybody that would agree with me and say, yeah, I need that? I can tell you, this is me being honest as your pastor. I need that. I got at the end of 2016, and I was so tired that I'm begging God, saying, Lord, would you just give me motivation to take one more step in this direction? It was time for some rest and a reset. And so if you need a reset, you're in the right place. You're in the right company. I've got good news for everyone today. Listen, no matter the setup or the setback, No matter the frustration or failure, the situation, the circumstance, the good, the bad, the joy, the pain, the high, the low, no matter the feast or famine or the poverty or the promotion, God has something greater in store for you. 
He does. He's got something greater. And I want you to hear this today. He's got something greater that's coming. And so be excited. Be ready. Be anticipating. There is more ahead. God is greater still. And his plan has got so many amazing things waiting around the corner, I believe. Not just for us as a church, but for you individually, I believe it, for your family. So be excited. There's new vision. It's time to refocus. It's time to recharge. If we just looked at this word reset this morning, I'm going to take this as an acronym, R-E-S-E-T, and we're just going to work down. So the number one R for reset is receive the truth of who you are. If you want or need a reset in your life, receive the truth of who you are. First and foremost, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you understand your identity found in Jesus? Do you understand what you have, what you possess? We spent a lot of time, eight weeks in a series where we just really dug into the book of Ephesians. It was called Intentional. And we spent about three of those weeks just really dissecting your identity in Christ. I just wanna give you a few verses to think about. John chapter one, verse 12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I quoted a scripture earlier that said, call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you don't know today, if you truly have an intimate living relationship, a friendship with God through Jesus Christ, it can begin instantly with you simply doing what the word says. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. You'll find salvation. You'll find hope and life and peace and truth. I'm not gonna tell you that your life will be easy. In fact, I've spent years talking to people saying, I would almost rather talk you out of this than into it because this is hard. It is hard to follow Jesus. And one thing I can assure is this, you will have hard times. You will suffer. I can't stand up here and tell you that when you follow Jesus, everything's gonna snap right in line and God's gonna give you a Mercedes and you're gonna be rich. I can't do that. But I can tell you this, you will probably suffer but you know what? You will not do it alone. And that's the difference. A lot of times in our aloneness, the weight and gravity of isolation is what is the thing that smothers us the most. I can't imagine walking through and dealing with what our friend JD is walking through and dealing with right now, apart from friendship and relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter one, it says, when you receive him and believe him, his name, this, the name we sang of, you now have the right to become children of God. Second Corinthians 5, 17 talks about before and after. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Have you ever gotten to the end of yourself and realized that you're just not that impressive, right? I mean, I remember moments of life when I would look at myself in the mirror and go, I am sick of some me. And here's the truth of the matter. Man, when, when the Lord moves into the real estate of your life, he takes over and he, he makes something so beautiful and brand new. He gives you fresh vision where you were stuck and suffocating. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you can be a new creation. 1 Peter 2, 9, understanding who you are in Christ because you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim, declare excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Man, right there are four things he just said. You're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, and you are owned and possessed by God. He loves you that much. He values you. Galatians three twenty six. for in Christ Jesus, 
Jesus. You were all sons of God through faith. Romans 8, 1. And this is good news for those of you who have lived in the weight of shame and regret and remorse and, and just condemnation. Romans 8, 1 is good news for you today because it says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you invite Christ Jesus to take over your life, condemnation can go away. And I would tell you this. If you're struggling in shame and remorse and regret and guilt and condemnation, that is the lie of the enemy continually trying to remind you of something that you once might have been, but that is not who you are when Jesus moves into the scene, okay? Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. Another word for that maybe in your translation is masterpiece. I love this, I love this. It's as if Brent, I wish he was painting today, but when, he back, when he's back there um, worshiping through art and paint, it's as if God is painting a masterpiece. And a true artist, if you were to ask some of these famous artists of old what would be considered a masterpiece, they would struggle because they live in this tension. A true masterpiece would be if they actually could capture their self-portrait in an honest way that really resonated with the, the, the one who's painting. That would be considered a masterpiece. See, Ephesians 2, God is painting his self-portrait on the tapestry of your life. And he says, you're a masterpiece. Ephesians 4, 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. These are all great things. Do you understand who you are in Christ Jesus? So the R and reset, receive the truth of your identity. You are deeply loved by God. And listen, I want you to hear this. You are the best you And you are most fulfilled when you are walking in the identity that God has for you and the purpose that he's created you for. If you're constantly frustrated, I would beg and challenge you to examine the things that you've put your hands to. If you're not created for it, it's miserable. I can give you some real generals. God has created you for himself. He has created you for worship. He's created you for intimate relationship. That's why when you spend that time with him, you begin to feel alive again. That's why you feel joy. That's why when you're walking through the depths of hell like our friend JD, there's still this crazy, hard to understand peace. You are at your best self and most fulfilled when you're walking in the identity God has for you and the purpose he created you for. So I want you to reimagine. Right now, I want you to ask the Lord This question, considering who I am in you, Father, what is your vision for my life right now? What do you see? I I know I've received a few emails. This is free, it's not my notes, but I've received a few emails. And I know some of you are going, I don't know what's next. I don't know what the next step is. I'm looking for it. And like you too, I still haven't found. Told you it was free. Didn't say it was good. Um, Father, what is your vision for my life? Number two, E, examine your life. Take an inventory. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about your life? John 10.10 says this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life what? Abundantly. Abundantly. Listen, it's not just about your zip code when you die. I grew up under the gospel of... If you were to die in a burning bus today, 
where would you spend eternity? And it was every sermon. It was like, it was a great sermon on finances and sex. And if you were to die in a burning bus today, you know, that's the way it always felt every Sunday. <laughs> it's not bad. I'm just saying, it, that, don't miss it all. Listen, yes, it's important. It's important. If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? The decision has been made for you unless you choose to submit and surrender to Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, is this passage doesn't say, and Jesus came to give you life after this. It says he came to give you life abundantly now, right now, now. But it does give a warning. Your adversary and enemy called the devil seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. The number one tool the enemy will use is to remind you of your past in order to keep you from enjoying the life that God gave you to live. That is the number one tool he uses. The enemy, the devil, does not want you, listen, church, he does not want you to have a reset on January 8th of 2017. He does not want you to have a reset. And the good news is is that God says this, I have a fresh start for your life. I want you to have a new beginning. I want you to have something new in your life. I want you to have a reset. Aren't you glad that you serve a living God who gives second chances and wants to give you a reset this morning. Can someone just give him some praise and clap and shout and do whatever you got to do at Declaration Church? You know, this time last year, some of the resolutions that we made may have been to grow um, in relationship with God or with others, to pray more, to read Bible more, to be more involved in church, to spend more quality time with friends and family, et cetera. The list could go on. And, and, and here's the reality of it. A lot of us along the way, over the year, um, myself, I fell short of those goals. I fell short of those goals. Um, some of us have made some decisions along the last 356 days, some bad choices even, that led us to, to not be walking in the fullness of God's vision and abundance. And so maybe you really are, you're desperate for a reset. Question from the first point, do you believe that you are who God says that you are? And if so, as you're examining your life, the E, um, what do you allow to define you? Do you allow the world to define you or do you allow his word to define you? Who do you believe? What voice do you listen to? Do you choose to listen to the voice of truth or do you choose to make an agreement with the lie of your adversary? Are you listening to past circumstances or past failures or, or past hurts? Are you living out of those wounds? Are you, are you a victim? Do not allow your past to define your future. Christ did not die on a stick so that we could stay as a victim. He didn't. He wants to usher in an age of victory in your life. And today, I believe that that's for somebody. I gotta believe it's for somebody. Do not allow your past to define your future. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. We're gonna come out of New American Standard on this because I like the way it reads. It says this. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I'm gonna do something new. Now it will spring forth. Somebody say spring forth. It's gonna spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I love the imagery because what he's saying here is this. When it seems impossible, I got this. When, there, when it seems like the, it's too thick and you can't motivate through even a foot, I'm gonna make a road for you. That's what he's saying. 
He's saying, I got this. So don't look at yesterday. I was on staff at a church once, and I'd sit in these staff meetings, and it was just like, <gasps> you know, because it was like, well, in May, we always do the flower planting. We have to do the flower planting. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I don't care about the flower planting, you know? Stop that. I can keep going. And I remember one day, and this is the Lord. I, I have the tendency sometimes to open my mouth and say dumb things, but today it was a good day, that day. Because I said this, I said, you know what, man? Why are we always looking in the rearview mirror when God has given us this windshield? And church, listen, man, stop looking in the rear view. It's there for a reason. Remember where you came from so you don't go there again. We'll get there. But man, God has given you this windshield with vision and abundance and something so satisfying and joyful to look forward to. He's gonna do something new. God is far more interested in our future than he is our past. Can I say that? He's far more interested in your future than your past. Some people think that God's stuck there. They think he's mad at them. That all he wants to do is remind you of the things that you've done wrong. Max Licato years ago in a book said, as if he's some sort of cosmic killjoy, just sitting up there in the sky waiting to zap you when you did something wrong. Like you got a shot call, like, wrong, sin, you know? I'm mad at you. No, that's not the deal. It's not the deal. I want you to listen. He's not mad at you. He's forgiven you. In fact, church, it's something that we've lost a lot in the church universal right now. But it's why we do this. When you hold your hands out before the Lord and when we do this together as part of our worship, and we just take a moment to confess. I mean, do that now. Before the Lord, just say, point out anything that you find in me that grieves you. And when the Lord might speak something, just confess it and say, yes, it's not becoming of your child. The word says he's faithful to forgive you of that. And so this is why I say, this is why we do this. Listen, because of Jesus, you are forgiven. You don't have to stare at it anymore. It's gone. You're forgiven. And he's not mad at you. Forget the former things. Forget the past. Don't think about it anymore. He's doing something new. Israel's being punished for their sin and rebellion against God. God wanted to give hope and encouragement to his people. He wanted them to know that even though they were being punished, they were not being forsaken. Anybody's dad ever say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, boy? Anybody got that? Actually, that voice was a little more deliverance than dad, but, you know, I think my dad said that once, if I recall. And I think I remember going, then we don't have to do this. Simple. It's really easy. It's really good. I'm good. You're good. I'm good. And sometimes God has to bring his discipline. Why? Because the discipline is there out of love to keep us safe and secure and provided for. And so God wanted to give hope and encouragement to Israel. He wanted them to know of his love, even though they were being punished. He wanted them to know that they were not being forsaken. He wanted his people to understand that this punishment that they were experiencing would not be the end of them. And the fact is this, is that, that God was about to do a reset in Israel. Over and over, we've seen that, Right? A fresh start, a new beginning. Israel, no doubt, was discouraged because they thought this was the end. They've gone too far. They've sinned too much. They rebelled. They rebelled against God. And maybe they thought, you know, God will not deliver us again. It's over. And that's when they did for one second go, but wait a minute. 
I do remember this is what God has done. I do remember this moment when God did that. They began to consider the love of God in his deliverances and in his victories. They could remember when they were trapped by the Red Sea and had nowhere to go, yet God made a way. When it looked impossible, God said, I got this. They could remember when the enemy was about to overtake them and he provided protection. They could think back, even though they couldn't see their future. I believe that's why God says this. I'm about to do something new. Trust me, how many times of your life can you stop and just recall, you know what, I remember that. I remember personally in 2007, I remember being in the men's restroom at Children's Memorial Harmon Hospital because it was the only place I could be alone with my thoughts and with the Lord. And I remember asking him as a professional Christian, right, one who did ministry, I remember going, God, are you even real? because I don't know how you can see what's happening now with my son in that incubator, born at 23 weeks, weighing one pound, three ounces, and them telling me that he has less than 1% chance of life expectancy, surrounded by seven others just like him, of which six would die. Where are you, God? Are you real? I remember the peace of watching that family who had a very shallow faith. I'm not saying that to be derogatory. I'm saying that because they were very, very young in their belief who lost their baby and still showed up to minister to us when ours was having surgery. I remember the faithfulness of God reminding me over and over that his hand would just, it's like I could feel it tangibly rest on my chest and him say, it's gonna be okay. Now, that didn't mean it was going to be okay the way I wanted it to be. It just meant he was saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm doing something here. I got this. And, you know, I can't stop, I can't stop thinking about my dear friend, J.D., right now, who on the phone, as he's trying to keep it together, says to me, it's going to be okay. He literally said that. It's going to be okay. I don't know how we're going to get through it. But it's going to be okay. Maybe, maybe that's where you are this morning. That you're in the middle of Israel's plight. You, you're, you're like, man, maybe I've gone too far. Maybe I've failed too many times. Maybe I've rebelled. I've, you know, maybe, maybe you're afraid that God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Maybe you feel and believe that you have zero future with God, but listen, here's good news. God this morning, I believe, sent me to tell you that it is not over, that he has a plan for your life, and he is about to do something new for you and in you. Do not listen to the enemy who wants to heap shame and condemnation upon you. Listen to the love of God for you. Do not allow your past to define your future. So today, I wanna challenge you, part two, E, examine your life. Don't think about those areas that kept you in bondage, in prison. Remember the faithfulness of God that when you were in the wilderness, led you out of the wilderness. We all need to evaluate all of our experiences. Maybe you're here and you just need to look at what is left after failure for a second. Because see, the beautiful thing about God is he can take all the broken, messed up things and make something brand new and amazing out of them, something useful. 
Galatians 3 says. You've experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. If you're sitting here and, and you found yourself like I did at some point in my life, when I am going, okay, God, really? I mean, why? Listen, can I, can I just encourage you for a minute? Nothing is wasted. A guy I met, I was looking at a car because it was time to re-up the lease, and, and I'm talking to this guy, and, and um, somehow in the conversation, I said something about, yeah, I'm a pastor, and all of a sudden, we stopped talking about a car. And he wanted to talk about pastor. He said, well, what, 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 what made you become a pastor? And two hours later, I had heard all about his experiences in war, coming back and losing everything, coming back home and his wife being gone and his parents, I mean, all kind of stuff. And listen, listen, I want you to hear this. I, I was able to look at him as honestly as I could and say, man, get this, I don't understand it. I wish I could give you a reason why you had to endure it but I can tell you that God will use it. It's not wasted. It's not wasted. You may not see it right now. When my dad passed away, couldn't see it. It was months later until somebody stopped me in a Chinese. I've told you that story. I thought I was going to die that day because this dude was huge and he was looking at me and I was creeped out eating Chinese food that was pretty bad anyway. I'm sure it did something bad to the stomach. Anyway, ADD. Um, and he said, listen, you'll never know the kind of impact your family had when I watched you suffer through losing your dad. Nothing is wasted, nothing. The living Bible says you've suffered so much for the gospel. Now, are you gonna throw it all overboard? I can hardly believe it. We've gotta learn from our mistakes. Failure can be your friend and it can be your foe. Listen, what determines which one it is is by the way we react to it. And there are four kind of experiences that God is going to use to shape our lives as we contemplate reset. He's going to use personal experiences, whether that's the family you grew up in, the people that you relate to, the friends you surround yourself with, your husband, your wife. Um, he, he uses personal experiences to shape us. He may use a vocational or an educational experience to shape you. He definitely is going to use a spiritual experience to shape you. It's like coming to church and going to a retreat or reading your scripture, being in worship, having a quiet time. But for me, it's even more dramatic. I have had these spiritual experiences where literally, tangibly, I felt like the Spirit of God just stepped into the room and I couldn't even speak. You know what? That is how I pray for Declaration Church every week that God would just step into the room and more than sermons and songs, his spirit would radically change just the makeup of this whole city. And the epicenter of his glory would be right here. God uses personal, educational, vocational, spiritual, but he also uses painful experiences to shape us. But nothing is wasted. So as you take an inventory of your life and as you reset, I wanna encourage you to ask yourself some questions. Number one, what have I learned? What have I learned? I read this somewhere, so I can't take credit for it, but I like it. This guy says, I know 40, I know people that are 40 and 50 years old, but they don't have 40 or 50 years of experience. They've lived the same year over and over and over. And if you've lived in the dysfunction and pain of your past like it's Groundhog Day, I want to encourage you this morning, there is a windshield in front of you, and God is doing something new. Number two, after you've said, what have I learned? Ask yourself this, what are my assets? What have I got going for me? Have I got my health? Do I have my freedom? Am I still mentally sound? Have I got some friends? Have I got the Lord? Have I got a church family? What do I have that I can get a reset with? Third question, who can help me? When I need this fresh start, we need someone by our side, a friend, accountability partner, a support person, 
a support group. Find someone that can help you. One of the most important things that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks for you is get into a life group. Not because you should, but because I really believe you're going to love it when you invest your life and time into it. It's where you're going to find that close-knit family. Those people are going to take care of you and love you. Get into a life group. We're going to launch those February 5th. Commit to that authentic community as part of your church family. We need other people because you can't start over by yourself after a major setback or crisis. You need someone to walk with you. The next letter in reset is S, and this one's a lot shorter. Step forward in faith. Step forward in faith. Listen, I want you to receive it and believe it, church. God has something greater. Say something greater. You've got to take hold of it. Step forward in faith. Do you believe this this morning, that your God would have something greater for you? He's inviting you. In a minute, we're gonna just be sung over. There's a song that is just really ministered to me, and I pray it does to you, but there's a lyric that says, standing on the edge of a new frontier. I'm standing on the edge of a new frontier. Listen, I believe this. His love will guide you, but you must begin by believing him and receiving his truth about your life. Step forward together towards something greater. In Matthew 9, Jesus says, according to your faith, it's gonna be done for you. It's gonna be done to you according to your faith. It's a very simple statement, but it's very powerful. According to your faith, it will be done to you. This means that we, we tend to get out of life what we expect. We tend to get out of life what we expect. What are you expecting in life? Are things gonna be better or worse? Are they gonna be the same? If you act in faith, then you will do something positive to ensure that you don't repeat the same mistake over and over and over. The faith that I'm talking about is not a dead, hope so kind of faith. It's active, it's living, it's breathing. It's an affirmative faith that takes positive action coupled with the help of God to change your life, to bring about Reset, Acts chapter three, one through five. Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. It was the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. Do you know the story? And he would ask alms of them, all that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked in alms, and Peter fastening, fixing his eyes upon this man with John says, look on us, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. This man asked for something and expected to get it, but in reality, he got way more than he expected. Can I tell you something? God is always doing something greater. He was just asking for alms. And he was gonna leave with healing. How many of you have asked the Lord for something for a long time? But you might be asking for too little. Can I just be honest? I know it's 1135. We got a few minutes, but can I just be honest for a second? Listen, it's easy for us to get caught up in religious and church and forget the fact that we worship a supernatural king who literally created everything. 
He spoke it into being, and words create worlds. We're talking about the God who sits above it all. He is outside of time and space, yet holds it all together. God, can you pay my electric bill? That's a worthy thing, and it might be necessary. But you know what? God is able to do something greater. It's a bad example. Maybe we need to talk about just, God, I can't do that that I feel you've placed in my heart. I believe that God has put vision in every one of your hearts, and my job is is prayerfully and humbly to pull that vision out of you, ask you what is it, and say, how are we going to use that for the kingdom? What is it that God wants to do with you, in you, and through you to make an eternal difference in the lives of people? Because God loves people. And here's where we get stuck. Well, I know it's that dream, but I don't do that, so therefore it can't be God. God can do something greater. He's always doing something greater. The point I want to make is this. The lame man acted in faith and was greatly rewarded. Many times we ask for something and expect to get nothing, and we get exactly what we expect, nothing. So in order to start acting in faith, that means you've got to stop having a pity party. You've got to stop feeling sorry for yourself. You can't be poor, woe is me. It's like, um, what's that donkey and Winnie the Pooh? Thank you. <laughs> if that was a spiritual thing, there is a spirit of Eeyore on some people. You know it. I know it. You're like, okay, i got to go. You know, you see them coming, and they're like, woe is me. As if we don't serve a God who created the universe. You're not a victim. And I will say this, while you might be thinking life is unfair, life is unfair. Of course it's unfair. Whoever said it was fair? God never said that. I mean, this is a world filled with sin, and because of that, life is unfair. When we stop blaming God for all of the the stuff going on and we see the true source of the stuff that's going on, it's sin. Life is unfair. But you gotta, you gotta go on with life anyway. You gotta stop having that pity party. And, and uh, I love this phrase. Stop rehearsing and regretting the past. Stop it. It's time to come to the end of yourself and step up to the edge of something greater. It's time to come to the end of yourself and step up to the edge of something greater. He's got a hope and a future for you. I'm gonna skip some. But I will say this. What you're thinking on and what you're focusing on will tend to reproduce in your life. According to your faith, it will be done to you. Don't forget that passage. A friend of mine posted this the other day. If you can't say something helpful, skip it. If you think something good, say it. And if you wanna see it, declare it. Step in faith. The second E in reset stands for eradicate excuses. Super Dave DeMasters, where you at? Super Dave. That's your new nickname. I just came up with that. It's very original. Super Dave said it last week. To change, you got to what? Change. To change, you got to change. If you want to reset, it begins with owning your stuff. Stop making excuses. Confess. Repent. Stop making the excuse for the failure. Too many people use Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 as a crutch to continue living a past-thinking kind of lifestyle. This is how it plays out. This is how I heard it growing up. Well, you know, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. Well, the problem is the word just. Because you're not just anything. To God, you are a child. You are royal. 
You are a saint. You are a container of the Holy Spirit of God. Dave also said something last week. Stinking thinking leads to stinking living. I like that. Eradicate excuses. If you want a recess, ask Holy Spirit to change the way you're thinking. Ask him to change the way you're thinking. Do not find yourself stuck on the merry-go-round of false resolution repentance by continuing to do what you've always been doing yet expecting a different result. That is the definition of insanity. Continue doing what you've been doing. Expect a different result. Instead, ask the Lord for a reset and repent. No excuses. Eradicate the excuses. Just be honest, authentic, humble. Confession and repentance. The last one, T, as the van comes. Trust his love. Trust his love. Listen, there is a reason. or There is no reason. Let me say that. There is no reason to live in fear and to be afraid. Trust his love for you. He's the father of lights, the giver of every good and perfect gift. If me being an earthly father wants to do what I do for my kids, can you imagine if you being an earthly father, the things that you do for your kids, the things that you wanna give your kids, can you imagine how much more than your heavenly father who is totally able to do anything and everything? Can you imagine he wants to do. He wants to do something greater. There's no reason for fear. Trust his love. 2 Timothy 1, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He has his best for you according to Jeremiah 29. He has plans, purpose. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, God, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead in sin made you alive. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for you that while you were still in sin, he sent Jesus to die so that you could have life. I believe someone needs resurrection this morning. Listen to this, Zephaniah 3, it's one of my favorites. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's near to you. And listen, He's the mighty one who will save. He rejoices over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He loves you. And my favorite, Galatians 2.20, I love this translation. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I need to reset. I need to refocus my thoughts. I want my life to change. I want to get going again. I want a fresh start, a reset. I need to rethink. Proverbs 4.23, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. The way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel will determine the way you act. Receive who he says that you are. Let's put those five points up and reset. Receive the truth of who you are. I want you to see it because sometimes it helps you to remember better. Receive the truth of who you are. Examine your life. Step in faith. Eradicate excuses and trust his love. I want you to listen to this song and we'll go quickly. But just like that Galatians 2 passage, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not me. It's no longer I. But this life that I now have in Jesus, it's because of him and his love for me. My prayer for you, church, is that you would find yourself 
at the end of you and on the edge of something greater this morning. Listen to this as we sing over you. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.